Welcome to the OCC Podcast. Whether you're listening to this at home, on the road, at work, or in the gym, we're so glad you decided to join us as we study God's Word together. We hope and pray that through this ministry, you will grow in your relationship with God as well as become a chair for disciple maker. But for now, sit back and let us help you see how the Bible applies to your life today. All right, tough start already. Uh, And it might get worse. I'll just warn you. (laughs) Right now as we go, but because this is a great opportunity for us talking about children, talking about Operation Christmas Child. If you have your Bible, grab that. We're going to jump into our study in the Gospel of Luke. And as we're celebrating shoeboxes going to kids all over the world, we're going to look at a passage today, because the Holy Spirit's funny and good, about children. And so no doubt if you're aware if this is your home church. I'm, I'm a big softy. I cry at commercials. I'll cry at anything. But I, I especially cry thinking about kids, and, and especially my own kids. So if you made a, Brent, a bet with Brenton before the service on when I was going to cry, I hope you took the under because it's going to be early. So just know that, okay, going in. Luke 18, we're going to look at verses 15 to 17 today. Before we dive in, I do want to share some wisdom about children. And this is wisdom I stole from a man named Robert Fulgham. You might not recognize that name, but here in a second, I'm going to give it away. You'll recognize his most famous work. Robert Fulgham wrote, all I really need to know I learned in kindergarten. Everybody familiar with that one? Great, great stuff. And Fulgham's written many books, over 10 books. He's actually a pastor. I don't agree with him theologically, but his take on children is solid. It is sound. And so he wrote these things, and you probably remember this. These are the things I learned. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. (laughs) Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. When you go out into the world, watch for traffic, hold hands, and stick together, right? These are the things that we should have learned in kindergarten, for sure, right? I think that's great. I think it's practical wisdom for every day that we live on this planet. But I think it's of particular interest for us today as we study this passage, where Jesus is talking about how we are supposed to receive the kingdom of God. We're supposed to do it like a child. So what does that mean? I was interested and I read some more of Robert Fulgham's works this week and and I I love all I ever needed to know I learned in kindergarten. It was another selection that he wrote that hit me in the gut because I I brought a couple little things up here that you probably can't see very well. These these are things I've saved that my kids have given me over the years. When I was in seminary, I lived in Missouri, but I went to seminary at Dallas Theological. And so I would travel down to Dallas twice a year and stay for a week and do seminary and come back. And every time I would go, my kids would give me stuff because they know I'm a softie, and because they knew I was going to miss them, they were going to miss me, whatever. And so, and so I started to collect these things, and I went down twice a year for five years. I got a lot of stuff. I brought a very small smattering, but these are some of my favorite things. And, and so you guys don't even have any clue what this is. This is a chunk of Play-Doh <laughs> that my son, who's now 22, made for me when he was three. Just a little cube of Play-Doh, and it was special to him, and he gave it Gave it to me, and I kept it. <laughs> it's a Pokemon card that my next oldest boy gave me. He really liked Pokemon. It's not my Jigglypuff because I don't want to lose that. That's my favorite. So, <laughs> I've got other Pokemon cards. <laughs> this is a, a Winnie the Pooh that my daughter gave me. She's like me, a huge Winnie the Pooh fan, Eeyore, and, and so that's special. And this little race car that my boy Trace gave me. I've got tons of stuff like this, like more than you would probably imagine. And those are the kind of things. I'd put them in a little bag. I'd take them with me when I'd go to seminary. I'd be in class all day. And every now and again, I'd literally pull the bag out and look at it. Just reminders of my kids. Robert Fulgham had a similar experience. 
And he wrote it in one of his books. He writes this. The cardboard box is marked the good stuff. As I write, I can see where it's stored high on a shelf in my studio. I like being able to see it when I look up. The box contains those odds and ends of personal treasures that have survived many bouts of clean it out and throw it away. A thief looking into the box wouldn't take anything. He wouldn't get a quarter for it. But if the house ever catches on fire, the box goes with me when I run. One of the keepsakes in the box is a small paper bag. It's lunch size. Though the top is sealed with staples and paper clips, there's a ragged rip on one side through which the contents may be seen. This particular lunch sack has been in my care for 14 years. It initially belonged to my daughter, Molly. Soon after she came of school age, she became an enthusiastic participant in the morning packing of lunches for herself, her brothers, and me. And each bag got a share of sandwiches, apples, milk money, and sometimes a note or a treat. One morning, Molly handed me two paper bags, a regular lunch sack and then the sack with the staples and the paper clips. Why two bags, I asked. The other one's something else. <laughs> What's in it? Just some stuff. Take it with you. I crammed both my sacks into my briefcase. I kissed her. I rushed off. At midday, while hurriedly scarfing down my lunch, I tore open Molly's second bag and I shook out the contents. <laughs> two hair ribbons, three small stones, plastic dinosaur, pencil stub, tiny seashell, two animal crackers, a marble, used lipstick, small doll, two Hershey's Kisses, and 13 pennies. I smiled. How charming. Rising to the important business of the afternoon, I swept my desk clean into the wastebasket, went my leftover lunch and Molly's junk. Wasn't anything there that I needed. That evening, Molly stood beside me while I was reading the paper. Where's my bag, she asked. <laughs> I left it at the office. Why? I forgot to put this note in it. She handed me a piece of paper. She said, besides, I want it back. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Those are my things in the sack, Daddy. Those are the ones I really like. I thought you might want to play with them, but now I want them again. You didn't lose the bag, did you, Daddy? Tears puddled in her eyes. Oh, no, I lied. I just forgot to bring it home. Bring it tomorrow, okay? Sure thing, don't worry. She hugged my neck with relief. I unfolded the note she had given me. I love you, Daddy. I looked long at the face of my child. Molly had given me her treasures. All that a seven-year-old held dear, love and a paper sack. And not only had I missed it, I'd thrown it away. I felt like my daddy permit was about to run out. And Fulgham wrote, he went back to his office that night. He saved all the stuff before the janitor got to it. He pulled it out. He returned it to his daughter. She explained the significance of every item in the bag. And he writes, to my surprise, Molly gave the bag to me once again several days later. Same ratty bag, same stuff inside. I felt forgiven and trusted, loved, a little more comfortable wearing the title of father. Over several months, the bag went with me from time to time, although it was never clear why or what I did in order to get it that particular day. I began to think of it as the daddy prize. I tried to be good the night before so I'd get it the next morning. That's what we talked about last week. We try to earn good things in our lives. In time, Molly turned her attention to other things. She found other treasures. She grew up. Me? I was left holding the bag. She gave it to me one morning. She never asked for its return. I have it still. Sometimes I think of all the times in this sweet life when I must have missed the affection I was being given. 
friend calls this standing knee-deep in the river and dying of thirst. So the worn paper sack is there in the box. It's left over from a time when a child said, this is the best I've got. Take it. It's yours. I missed it the first time. But it's my bag now. Church, hear me on this. Quite often, it's our kids. It's a young person. It's someone else's kid who's going to teach us some of the most profound lessons that we could possibly learn as adults in this temporary life. I think that's exactly why Dr. Luke inspired, wrote this passage, and it landed exactly where it did, verses 15 to 17 of Luke chapter 18. Because it comes right after that story we looked at last week of this prideful Pharisee, this guy who was so pompous that he literally prayed to himself. And then we met that humble tax collector. He wouldn't even rise his eyes to look at the heavens. And then we get this, this teaching that gives us this added punch that we're supposed to have this simple picture of humble trust like kids have. (laughs) That's necessary for us to enter the kingdom of God. To truly be able to profess faith in Christ, we got to give up on trusting in ourselves for our salvation. That's the model we're seeing today. And so if you grabbed an outline on the way in, there's two big lessons from this text. And the first is, as adults, we get a privilege, an enormous privilege to teach children. We're supposed to do that. I hope we embrace that. But number two, as we're doing it, as we're teaching them, there's so much for us to learn. So I hope we'll be humble enough to recognize the takeaway from this text because the application is pretty pointed. Jesus kind of hammers this home. If we don't, as adults, receive the kingdom of God like children, then we don't receive the kingdom of God. It's that simple. This is how Luke records Jesus' teaching. We'll have this on the screen if you don't have your Bible. And they were bringing even their babies to Jesus so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. But Jesus called for them, saying, Permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them. Why? For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, uh (laughs) uh-oh, will not enter it at all. So there's this kind of big picture overview I want us all to grasp, and then we'll walk through this a little more slowly because there's some application things we don't want to miss. But big picture... As Christ followers, we're supposed to remember we're little children. We're God's children. That's an important lesson for us to grasp. We are born of fathers. We're born of parents. And then when we become Christ followers, we are born again, right? Of God the Father. Scripture uses that term. We're spiritually reborn. When we're little kids growing up, the things that our fathers say to us, we believe those things. We just trust those things. We don't get double meaning, double entendre, figures of speech. We just trust the things our dads say. When my oldest kids were very young, when Gavin was like about three and Carson was two, one day Christina's mom, Nana, was watching the boys. And I'll never forget this. Nana called Christina freaking out in the middle of the day, and Christina called me. And and Nana was freaking out because Gavin had told her, Nana, I'm going to kill you. Which would, would, I mean, which I get, right? That would be frightening. But, but Nana didn't understand the context. I understood the context. I thought it was funny. I laughed. Nana didn't laugh, right? Here's the context. Gavin, like any little three-year-old kid, loved to tell stories, loved to entertain. He loved to make you laugh, right? And whenever he would make us laugh, I would tell him, Gavin, you're killing me. You're killing me, right? 
And so he thought that's what killing you was, would he make you laugh. And he wanted to make Nana laugh, so he's going to kill her. <laughs> so I had a pretty important conversation with Gavin when I got home. And I'm, you know, I'm picking up my little three-year-old boy, and I'm trying to explain to him. And, and it's a serious subject, talk to a three-year-old kid about death and killing and everything. And, and like, I think he got it. You know, I was trying really hard to, to get it across to him. And, and so he looked at me dead in the face. I'll never forget this. And he goes, okay, Dad, I'll stop killing Nana. Which then I thought was funny. <laughs> but it, we were having a moment. It was a real serious moment, so I couldn't let him know. So I turned my head to the side because I was going to laugh, right? And I didn't want him to see it. But you know, the problem is, you know, that I, I, I leak out of my eyes. And so he, he thought that I was crying. He, he thought that he'd made me cry. And so then he got super serious, right? And he grabbed my face and he pulls it back to him and he goes, and I'll stop killing Carson too. And I was, <laughs> just put him down and walked away. I was like, I'm done with this conversation. I can't make this <laughs> But, but that was the deal, right? He'd heard me saying that. You're killing me, son. And he embraced that. He thought that was okay. Why? Because I'm his dad. Important lessons for us to learn here, right? Kids have implicit faith in the words of their father. That's a big application lesson for us today. As fathers, as mothers, as parents, if we're raising kids, we need to tell them the truth. We need to be careful about how we tell them the truth, right? Especially if we're going to raise them biblically. Because as we're sharing Bible stories with them, you guys know this by now, some of those stories are hard to grasp. Some of those stories are pretty hard to fathom. And if we've created this pattern of they think we're lying to them or exaggerating things with them, now we're going to tell them Bible stories and they're going to go, wait, wait, hold on. What? <laughs> You're saying they parted the water? Literally the water parted and people walked through that? Okay, hold on, let me get this right. You're saying this dude, Peter, he walked on the water? <laughs> People don't do that, Dad. Now, hold on a second. You're saying this guy, Jesus, he rose from the dead? Yes, yes, and yes. I'm saying all those things are true. And to be able to establish those as truths, we need to have credibility. And so we got to understand how that relationship works. Young kids trust their parents until we don't earn their trust anymore. And young kids are totally dependent upon their fathers. Praise the Lord here in the Western world. I know there are places in the world where young kids, four, five, six, they're working in mines, they're working jobs to provide for their families. I don't think that's the best picture. I think at least we've got this part right. As young kids, we try to provide for our kids. We try to protect them because that's a beautiful picture of how God, our Father, is doing that for us. He's providing for us. He's protecting his children. And I know we blow that up. There's sadly so many times that picture doesn't translate for kids because their parents have Sin issues, dependency issues, addiction issues, whatever. And what happens? We mar, we disfigure that picture of what a healthy family should look like. It should look like the kingdom of God. Healthy family led by the father who's the warrior and the king and he's motivated by love and grace. If that family picture is healthy, then kids feel comfortable coming to their dad, coming to their parents. And what do they do? They ask for stuff. That's what kids do all the time. We started out with toys and video games. We were like, my daughter asked for animals every day. Dad, can we have a baby duck? Come here. No, no, we can't have a baby Every day. I mean, see, that was what you get, right? They come. They ask for stuff. I had a neat one this week. My boy, Trace, who's 16, just got his driver's license a couple weeks ago. And we talked with him about, because I have an older son who would literally leave the car in the garage with zero gas in it. I was like, it's nice if about a quarter of a tank you let us know, right? So, and so Trace, this is his first week. He's like, hey, I need gas in my car. I was like, well, I can do that. That's part of my deal as a dad. And I was going to surprise him, right? I was going to be over in Clarkson one day for lunch, and I went by the high school, and I stole his car. 
And I went to go put gas in it, and I cleaned out. He's had it for a week. There were 17 protein bar wrappers on the floor. <laughs> cleaned some things up, you know, and, and so I filled up his gas tank. But I didn't tell him, right? And I went and I put the car back in exactly the same spot. I'm not trying to freak him out. School gets out. I get a call the second he gets in his car. Dad, my gas tank is broken. <laughs> <laughs> I drove to school. I had a quarter of tank. Now it's full. I was like, did you notice it's clean too, Goofus? Come on. <laughs> Try to help you out here, right? This is still my gig for a while. You'll have to pay for your own gas. But for now, you ask me and I provide for you. This is what I want to do. Do we understand that's the same picture? As adults, we can go to our Heavenly Father and ask for what we need. What do we call that? Prayer. <laughs> that's the picture. We go to our God, our Father, and we ask him for those things we need. And I pray that we remember to say thank you. I pray we remember to give him the glory that he is so worthy of. And yes, Trace did thank me for the tank of gas, so that's good. There's so many things we're supposed to be reminded of in this passage, in this picture, this big overview of what our relationship with God is supposed to look like. We're part of his family. As we're growing up, we correct our kids a lot, right? We're trying to instruct them because we want to train them up in the way they're supposed to go. As adults, does that change? No, God is constantly correcting us. He's trying to train us up. Christina and I are blessed. We have four kids. They all bear our name, the family name, right? They're green children, not in color, in name, right? <laughs> but, but that's the deal. They carry my name. We're one big family. Well, as Christians, we carry God's name. That's what Christians mean, Christ ones, little Christ. We're wearing that family name. Why? Because we're adopted into the family. We're grafted in. And so now we are the objects of God's affection. In the same way that the same way that Gavin and Carson and Macy and Trace are the object of my affection. It's not the trinkets. I like the trinkets. They're fun. It's that the trinkets remind me those came from my kids. That's the picture, right? I'll always value these. The real object of my affection is that God gave me my wife. He gave me my kids. Now, let's be super real for a minute, and I'm not telling any secrets. My kids get this. There have been many, many times in my life where they have been decidedly inconvenient, right? But it's such a glorious inconvenience. And if I start to get really depressed in this, I remember that I got off light. Christina had to carry them, and that did not look easy. <laughs> I didn't have to birth any children. Like, she did a lot of work in that. But, but since the moment they came out, they cost a lot of money. They take a lot of time. They haven't stopped costing me money yet. They probably won't. I, I, I wouldn't trade this experience for the world. I understand so much more the love of God because he allowed me to have children. Something amazing happened when I held my first kid. Now, I don't know if you're blessed and that's happened for you. Like I was a Christ follower before. I know I was. Probably three or four years earlier, I'd profess faith in Christ. But like I, I don't know that I totally got it. I don't know that I totally grasped the picture. And I remember us sitting in the hospital, and our first boy, Gavin, he, he was C-section, and, and as they were cleaning him out, you know, they do for little babies, they nicked his esophagus. And so he had to be in the NICU for like the first five days of his life, and that was harrowing enough. His first time parents were freaking out, and I'm pacing the halls in the hospital. And my dad, God love him, didn't help. My dad had a cleft palate, and he was afraid all the grandkids were going to have cleft palate. And so he's pacing the halls with me, waiting to see the kids pop out. And, and finally, we have a baby, and now he's got to be in NICU, and I'm just a mess. And, and so finally, you know, they bring him into the little NICU room. And there I am, you know, and, and they... They bring this little baby and hand him to me, and I got it. Like, I hadn't really got it before. 
Again, I know I was a Christ follower, but, but like they put this baby in my lap and I loved him so much. And I didn't even know him. <laughs> I loved everything about him and it hit me. That's how God looks at me. That's how God looks at all of us if we're disciples, if we're Christ followers. He sees us and he loves us. Why? Because we're his children. And let's be real honest. We are incredibly inconvenient for him. <laughs> People are tricky. God made all the stuff in six days and took a break. It was easy. It wasn't anything, right? He's been working on people for 6,000 years. We don't seem to be getting much better. We are decidedly inconvenient. But that picture is how it's supposed to work. We're God's family. You can read the Bible and you'll see this for sure. It starts in the book of Genesis. There's a guy, one guy, right? Adam, God gives him a wife, Eve, and they create a family. And then there's hiccups along the way. Read it on your own. You fast forward to the end of Genesis, there's still a family, right? 60 some odd people. They're the children of God. That's what they're called. They go to Egypt. Their children have children. Their children have children. There's that period of 440 years. And now all of a sudden this family of 60 people is a few million people. They're the nation of Israel, but they haven't changed. They're still God's kids. That's the picture that we get from these three verses. We're supposed to be like the children in God's family. And one of the things we're going to do is what we see here. We have to bring kids to Jesus. I hope we don't miss that. The disciples did. <laughs> they didn't understand the importance, right? But I think we've got to ask this question of ourselves. In the corporate church in the 21st century, do we miss this? So much of the time we focus on adults. What kind of attitude do we have towards kids? Ah, oh, they're kids. <laughs> they got plenty of time to figure things out. The church does concentrate a lot on adults. Well, adults will understand what we're talking about. Adults understand the gospel message. I think you look at verse 16, Jesus doesn't necessarily agree with that statement. Now, you can do the research on this, and it's pretty easy to do. Overwhelmingly, the statistics will tell us. The vast majority of people, statistics say over 90% of people who have a saving relationship with God, profess faith in Jesus, 90% of those folks began that relationship before they were 21 years old. How many folks do you know who began their relationship with the Lord like me at 26? Most folks don't. They do it when they're young. Now, I'm not saying that's going to totally change the way we do church and we're going to stop doing adult ministries and things like that. No. For folks who are in Christ, they're supposed to continue to grow. We've got to find places to connect and serve. That's hugely important. But still, we need to be investing in children's ministries, in student ministries. God is so funny. This was a great week. We hadn't planned this initially, but this is the week that our, our candidate for the student pastor position is visiting here at OCC, Andrew and Melin Smith. I don't know if you had a chance to meet him. They're at the first service, and I think they're in the lobby here for the second service. And he's trying to consider, is God calling him to be our student ministry pastor? And I'm up here saying, I'm going to try and get you some help. <laughs> we want to invest in these specific ministries because that's where the vast majority of people profess faith. And it's not because they're innocent, okay? We get that, right? Folks 21 and under, if you have toddlers, you get this. Little kids are not born innocent, right? What's a toddler's favorite word? Mine, right? Right after mama and dada, mine is the third word they say. And so we get that, right? They're born in sin. They need Jesus just as much as we do. But, but they have so much less baggage in the way of receiving Jesus. Because let's be practical. If we don't know Jesus by the time we become adults, whenever that is, 
Normally, it's about the time we start providing for ourselves. We get a job. We have some resources. We start making our own decisions. If we haven't accepted Christ by then, normally the only way that I see it happening is through brokenness. It's through trials. That's what it was in my life. And scripture is really clear on this. David writes this in the Psalms. This is after Nathan comes and gives him a little grief about some transgressions he had with Bathsheba and just lays it on the carpet. This is what David says. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. This is why prison ministry is so effective. People go in and do ministry in prison and those folks are broken. They have hit the bottom and they are ready to hear about God's love for them and they respond to the gospel. Children don't have all those walls built up that need to be broken down. So what are we supposed to do as a church? We're supposed to bring kids to Jesus. How can we be involved in doing that? Well, I think first off, we just got to model our faith in Jesus in front of them. And I think that's what we see the parents in this passage doing. They're literally physically bringing their kids to Christ. They want Jesus to reach out and touch their kids, to bless them. I think that example is powerful. Hear this all the time in the real estate market. What are the three most important words in real estate? Location, location, location. I think the three most important words in reaching children are example, example, example. And I know this personally, and you probably do too. Kids can spot hypocrisy a mile away. My kids pay more attention, honestly, to how I live my life than how I lecture in my life. And I lecture a lot. I kind of like to talk. But here's the reality for us. If what I'm saying and what I'm doing don't match up, they know. They'll catch us on that. And that's why it's so, so important that our actions back up our words. And this is a hard one, and I'm going to get in your kitchen on this one. But, but when we mess up in front of our kids, which we will do, because we're not perfect parents. When we blow it, we have to admit that we blew it. We have to ask forgiveness and affirm these things we're trying to teach. And we just start over again. And what have we done? There's another example. Example after example after example. So in modeling faith, we are supposed to do that. But also, and this is huge, I think we need to really engage. I think we need to actively volunteer and serve children's and students. It's one of my biggest desires here at OCC is that God would lead us to having really healthy, really vibrant kids' ministry all the way through, from nursery age through elementary age through junior high through high school all the way to college. We want to be healthy. And I think God is providing pastors for us in those positions. I'm blown away by what he's doing, but we need more than pastors. We need a ton of volunteer leaders, not just a few. We need a ton of them. If God is pressing this on your heart, I was so blown away. Folks came up to me after the first service and told me, I want to help there. If God is putting that on your heart, I'll do everything I can to help you plug into those areas. There are things we'd love to do that right now we are not doing because we don't have enough volunteers. The need is dire. Sadly, I'm afraid of this. We're not only not bringing children to Jesus. They can be saved. They can learn and grow. Sometimes I feel like we're a little bit like the disciples in this passage. We're almost hindering kids from coming to Jesus. And I don't think we're doing it intentionally. Honestly, I don't think the disciples are doing it intentionally in this passage. I think they think their motivation is right. They go, we're trying to protect Jesus. Jesus is so busy, right? Let's not bother him with all these little kids. We do that. We get so busy having adult church 
work of the church, having weekend services, having adult ministries, that we're almost hindering kids from coming to Jesus. It breaks my heart to say that. But I think it needs to be said. Again, kids are smart. They can grasp so much more than we think. If we don't have effective, intentional ministry designed for them, it's pretty easy for a kid to feel unimportant because kids will say this. Well, I like coming to youth group. That's fun. I like that. But I don't like coming to big church because I don't feel very important. We want kids to feel that way at church. I don't think we do. We're working right now on fixing this. Brenton and Wes have been talking about ways to intentionally get children involved in worship ministry next year, at least four times, trying to do that quarterly. We might try to do it more so we can see kids being part of this body, so we can help children know just how important they are to God and to us. I read a story one time about Luis Palau. I don't know if you're familiar with the name or not. Famous evangelist, really neat guy. Story's pretty cool. And, and, and was really... God used him tremendously as an evangelist. And Luis Palau told a story. He was in Bolivia with a, an evangelistic crusade, kind of like the Billy Graham crusades. And he had an appointment scheduled with the president of Bolivia. The president of Bolivia. Because Luis Palau had heard through friends who were like that that this guy was considering Christ. He had questions about Jesus. And Luis Palau thought, I'm going to be used by God to lead the president of Bolivia to Jesus. And he's all fired up, Right? So he's here on the Crusades, and he's got a big day planned. He starts out in the morning. He meets with a bunch of top government officials, and he shares the gospel. And then he's got a press conference scheduled, like at 1030, right around brunch or like that. And he gets through the press conference, and he's so geeked up because now he's going to go meet the president. And some people from his team bring in this little girl into the conference room where the, to talk to you. And Luis Palau was, was upset. He was frustrated because he had this important meeting to go to. And so he literally went over and he had his books there. He's written a bunch of books. And he grabbed a book and he signed the book and he handed it to the little girl and he's kind of like, you're just going to push her out the door. And this little girl stopped dead in her tracks and she looked up at Luis Palau. And she said, I was hoping to receive Christ, not a book. You know what he did? He rescheduled his meeting with the Bolivian president. And he shared the gospel with that little girl, and she accepted Christ. Both those meetings were important. <laughs> he still got to meet with the Bolivian president. That's fine. But both those meetings were really important. Little kids are just as important as big kids. It's 100% true. And we get to teach them. And we should teach them. And we can do it with examples from our own personal faith. We can do it by showing them how important they are to us by serving them, by volunteering our time to be with them. And this is the beauty of this. And again, I've been so blessed to recognize that. When we do that, when we are teaching them, man, those lessons are not one-sided. We are learning so much from them. Jesus says this in verse 17, and I love it. Anytime you see in scripture where he says, truly I say to you, he's going, hey, pay attention. This is kind of important. You're not going to want to miss this. Verse 17, what's so important? It's the notion of receiving the kingdom of God. The disciples were way off track here. They're hindering the little ones from coming because they're thinking, well, children don't get it, right? They can't come into the kingdom of God until they're grownups. And Jesus said, no, scratch that, reverse it. Adults can't come into the kingdom of God unless they do it like children. 
And this one's pretty easy to bottom line. I said this earlier, and I think you would agree with me. Young kids just believe what their fathers say because you are their father. Again, there's an enormous responsibility with that, and there's enormous potential for harm. So we got to do that right. But young children don't have all that stuff in the way. They're just marked by simple trust. Kids will take stuff you give them without having to feel like they got to pay it back. They don't feel like they have to reciprocate or earn it in some way. You can try this one. you got young kids at home that are of an age where they can talk with you and make those kind of decisions, but not so old they've been marked by the world yet. you got a young kid, offer them this afternoon some ice cream. Hey, you want an ice cream cone? They're going to say, yes, <laughs> I'd love an ice cream cone. They won't say, I don't believe in ice cream. I'm not even sure ice cream exists, right? They're not going to give you some of the excuses that adults would give you. If they're below that certain age, they're not going to go, well, what's the catch, right? When they're young, before the fallen world has soured them, they would never think, are you trying to poison me with deadly poison ice cream? I've heard about this. No, they don't do that. They don't even worry about how bad the ice cream is for them. They're not worried about extra pounds or cavities. Parents worry about those things. Kids don't worry. They just go, yes, I'll take some ice cream. That'd be great. They love it. Do adults do that? Oh, no. Why? We know how the world works. We're too proud. We're too skeptical. We don't just walk around receiving gifts, right? It's one of our favorite expressions as adults. You can finish this one for me. There's no such thing as a free lunch. There's no such thing as free ice cream, Pastor James. Nothing comes for free. Church, can I share the most ridiculous good news you're ever going to hear? The gospel's free. Amen? Now, it came at a great cost. It cost God his son on the cross. It was costly for him, but the reconciliation that he makes possible is free for us. Because God provides everything. So what are we supposed to do? Receive it. <laughs> Big theological term called appropriation. It just means we accept it. Just like that little kid's going to take the ice cream from you this afternoon. We're not supposed to offer to pay God back. Now, and I said this last week, once we get the gift, yeah, that should change our lives. We should want our lives to be marked by service, by love, by devotion to God. That's our response to him. We should grow in our relationship with him because we're blown away by the generosity of this free gift because we can't fathom how much he loves us, as flawed as we are. That should be our response. But that doesn't earn the gift. The gift came for free. So as adults, can we be like little kids? Can we receive this gift of eternal life that God is providing through Jesus? That's the lesson the kids are trying to teach us. Because God takes everybody who comes with childlike faith. We've seen that so many times. I tried to put in examples from the Gospel of Luke. I, the sermon would have been an hour long. There, there's so many examples. You're going to see it over and over again in God's Word. What's the application for us? Church, we get to teach children. But we also get to learn from them. That's the way it's supposed to work. When we view children correctly. When we value them the way Jesus does in Luke 18. Let me close with this. I remember reading this when I was in seminary. It was about a lady who was a new missionary to Africa, and this was way back in the 1950s. And she came from America, and like a lot of Americans, she had a Western mindset. And so she came to Africa to this missionary school, and she was just appalled when she would see the African kids go out for recess. 
Because in America, what do kids do for recess? They go out and they run and they play and they scream and they blow off steam or like that. These kids in Africa, they would go out for recess and they would immediately go and hunt sticks and they'd sharpen sticks and, and then they'd hunt animals rodents and mice and grasshoppers and whatever they could find and they'd impale them with these sticks and then there was a fire and they'd go and roast whatever they got and ate it. That's what they did at recess. And this missionary went into the teacher and she's like, what is going on? I've never seen anything like that. What are they doing? And so the missionary starts to explain, in this tribal society, in this culture, men eat first. The fathers, the men, they eat first and they eat their fill. If there's anything left, then women get to eat. Good luck after that. If there's anything at all left, then kids might get to eat. That's the pecking order. That's the scale of importance. Children are by far the least important. So we look at a story like that and we get it. Oh my gosh, that village, they need Jesus, right? Because their priorities are way off. What about us? Are we prioritizing children? Are we valuing them correctly? If we want to be the church that God wants us to be, we can't breeze past Luke 18 here and not get the stuff we're supposed to do. We got to consider children important enough that we're going to do what Jesus did. He gave of his time. He gave them his individual blessing. How can we do that? How can we pour love out on these children? How can we model faith to them? How can we teach them his commands? How can we lead them to profess faith in him? If we do all those things, I guarantee we will learn from their example. We'll get to demonstrate childlike faith. We'll get to learn how to receive good things from God without trying to earn them. Be a good lesson for both of us. Amen? God bless you guys. I sure do love you. I'll be right back at the back door when you want to come tell me if you want to volunteer in children's or students. I'll be, I'll be there. <laughs> Let's pray. Daddy, thank you so much for the opportunity to wade through this passage. And it is deep. It is rich, God, with the things that we're supposed to apply so that you will get the glory that you're so worthy of. But God, more than anything, I hope we see this, this picture. As adults, we have a responsibility. We can model our faith. We can serve using the gifts you've given us. But as we do that, can we learn from these precious kiddos? We're supposed to receive like they do? God, help us to be the church you want us to be here at Orchards. Help us to have, in your time frame, I don't want to, rush this, God. I don't want to rush out ahead of you, but in your time frame, help us to have a church that is dynamic with healthy ministries for kids. That would be a draw to young families in the valley. Say, I want to go there because my kids are going to learn about Jesus. I'm going to have opportunities to serve them. We're going to grow together. God, help us to be that church for your glory. Not for our glory, God, for your glory. We love you and we praise you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to give to our ministry, please check out our website at lewistonocc.org. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, so you're always up to date with what's going on here at Orchards Community Church. Take care, and God bless.